Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 145, Thor, Marvel versus Myth. I'm really excited because if you're listening to this episode tomorrow, on Thursday, Mike Schubert is going to be arguing that Thor is the best original Avenger in Head, Heart, Gut. And it's just like a Thor-filled week. It absolutely is. And what a worthy character. I thought I liked Thor a lot before we did this episode, but we got to learn so much more about the mythological origins and also talk to a Thor expert about Thor in the Marvel Comics universe. It was so much fun. Yeah, Lorraine is the absolute best. It was such a delight to get to talk to her for the back half of this episode. And I learned so much more about the Thor comics than I ever thought I would. We talk about D&D. We talk about RuPaul's Drag Race. We talk about squirrels. It's a very fun interview. You guys are going to love it. Yeah, it's going to be real, real good. But first... Why don't, we, why don't we talk about another thing that delights us as much as Thor, Amanda? Ah, oh, Julia, what a perfect segue. We would love to welcome our newest patrons, Aura, Bethany, Chris, Michael, Kenna, and Isabel, who join the ranks of our supporting producer-level patrons, Audra, Jack Marie, Cody, Mark, Mr. Folk, Sandra, and Sarah, and our legend-level producers, those legends of stage, screen, myth, marvel, and spirits, Philip, Eeyore, Jessica, Josie, Marissa, Megan, Mercedes, Neil, Phil Fresh, Samantha, Sammy, and Skyla. What wonderful human beings. I love them all so much. Absolutely wonderful. I also liked the drink you made for this episode, Julia, maybe a little bit too much. We describe it in the episode, but give us a a high level overview. So yeah, normally, if we were talking about Norse mythology, I would recommend a beer or mead because those are very traditional drinks. But I really wanted a cocktail. So I decided it's a cross between Jack Daniels Tennessee honey as a base, which is typically a honey based alcohol. And then I included lemoncello, which I made myself. It's deadly. And then uh, a little bit of fresh lemon as well. Shout out to uh, editor Eric's girlfriend, Kelsey, who at Julia's wedding uh, last weekend, which was absolutely fabulous, made a gin and tonic with lemoncello and throughout the course of the night maintained complete composure, looked radiant and lots of fun and just like a regular wedding guest and also managed to drink an entire bottle of lemoncello, by which I mean like a four ounce bottle. It was still a lot of lemoncello to me. Uh, Anyway, she's she's a boss. What a goddess. Truly. Uh, Speaking of which, Julia, I know that you were uh, busy getting married this past week, but did you have any books, recommendations, music, podcasts that gave you a little bit of escapism, a little bit of calm? Yeah, I actually woke up really, really early the day of my wedding and couldn't get back to sleep, as one does. And I brought with me a little novella from my girl, Becky Chambers, who wrote The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which I've recommended on the show before. Uh, And this one is called To Be Taught If Fortunate, which is about the first interstellar astronauts that the earth sends to other planets that they believe host life and it's really really good and really really interesting and it's kind of about you know what we do when we forget about like our journeys and our goals fabulous oh my goodness that sounds so good Mm -hmm. it was very very good really happy with it we also have two very exciting announcements to share with you number one we are going to be in Boston for Multitude Live on October 10th. We are so, so, so excited about the show. Julia is going to her home away from home where she went to college, and we get to visit our many friends and listeners who live in the Boston area. So that's October 10th. We do expect it to be a pretty full house, so please grab your tickets now if you're planning on making it. That's at multitude.productions live. Our live shows are the best. I really, really enjoy doing them, and I think that they are 
I, I've been to a lot of podcasting live shows before. I think that the multitude ones do it way differently than everyone else does. So if you have been to a podcasting live show and you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. Come to the multitude ones. We might blow you out of the water. We absolutely may, as well as our friend Helen Zaltzman, who's doing The Illusionist Live the night before. So come do a podcasting double feature. Have a wonderful night. Bring a friend, a loved one, a date from Bumble or Hinge or whatever the kids are using these days. Come on over. It's going to be great. I don't know what the kids are using these days. I know. You've been at the game much longer than me. It's fair. And finally, it's kind of the most exciting time of the year for us at Multitude because we just launched our annual listener survey. Why lo- are you laughing? I love that you're just like, ah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Survey time. Data yes, collection. Julia, because we get to refresh the webpage and watch people's responses pour in. We ask you not just what you think of the shows and a multitude as a whole, but like where we should bring our live shows next year, what kind of merch we should be making next. If you have plants or pets or, I don't know, kids. I, it is very exciting. We like to talk to our listeners. I just love when Amanda geeks out about data. Also, it's the best survey anyone's ever going to take right now. <laughs> throwing down the gauntlet. Listen, I'm taking on the mantle of Thor and saying that only few people are worthy of writing consumer research surveys. One of them is me. There's lots of emojis. It is fun. There's a cute photo at the end. Trust me, you're going to love it. There's a very cute photo at the end. I love that photo. So please, it'll take about 10 minutes. It's the length of a, a, a very moderate bathroom break or a, a short coffee break or a very quick lunch. That's multitude.productions slash survey. And then if you tweet about it afterwards, like Amanda recommends you do, I will send you a cute thank you gif. Yay! Or put it on your Insta story. That's a gif as in a moving image on the internet, not a gift as in a thing I will send to you. <laughs> Julia, your social media is a gift. Thank you. Well, we're not going to hold you any longer from this absolutely wonderful episode. So please enjoy Spirits Podcast episode 145, Thor, Marvel versus Myth. So Amanda, here's a fun fact for you. Okay. When you Google Thor in this very moment, the first thing that you see is the article about Natalie Portman returning for Marvel's fourth Thor movie to be playing Thor, which is very cool. Fucking awesome. I can't wait. I'm very, very excited. It's a, it's actually one of my favorite storylines from the Thor, like in recent years, from the Thor franchise. So I am stoked to see it on the big screen. On the first page of Google, though, Amanda, there's nothing about the Norse god. On the second page of Google, there is nothing about the Norse god. Ooh. It takes until the third page before we see something mythology related. I mean, fair enough. I think probably a lot of people don't know that Thor is based on uh, real life traditions and mythology mm-hmm. because we just we love our Hemsworth and now our Portman. That's true. We do love our Hemsworth and our Portman and our sweet, sweet Tessa Thompson. And I think also my almost my favorite of all would be Tom Hiddleston as Loki. So good. So Amanda, today I want to play a little game with mythology and how we change it to adapt to pop culture. So I am calling it Thor. Marvel versus myth. Ooh, I like this. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Eric Silver for the idea for this episode, because I'm very excited about it. So I'm going to start this episode out by giving you kind of the lowdown of classic Thor from Norse mythology. Can't wait. I'm ready. Before we get started, I want to talk about what we're drinking this week, because... As always, we have a beverage in hand. So while beer and mead would kind of be pretty accurate to either version of Thor, I wanted to make a cocktail. I'm always craving a cocktail. Me too. Especially in so, the summer. I don't want all that all that volume of liquid necessarily. 
Yeah, exactly. So this one reminds me of kind of lightning streaking across the sky. And since it's still summertime, I want to do something that was a little bit more refreshing, right? So it has Jack Daniels Tennessee Honey as the base. It also has Lemoncello, Blue Caracao, and some fresh lemon juice in there. So please take a sip. Let me know what you think. Oh, oh, I could drink this all day. Oh, it's too smooth, Julia. Very refreshing. Too smooth. I too like smooth. it. A little bit of honey, which kind of like represents the mead and stuff from the classic Norse. And then the the like shock of the lemon, I think is really, really nice. Okay, so let's get let's get into it. I eat. I'm ready. Amanda, take a moment and uh, do your best to describe to me what Thor looks like. Um, okay, well, my impression of him is uh, white, blonde hair, maybe shoulder length, like longer hair, uh, extremely built male. Actually, there's very little indication in Norse mythology and prose that Thor was blonde. Hmm. In fact, one of his epithets or names was Redbeard. He was often described as being fierce-eyed, red-haired, and red-bearded. And uh, the, most of the confusion over the blonde version of Thor comes from the fact that in the prologue of the Prose Edda, they say that Thor's, quote, hair is more beautiful than gold. I mean, lots of things are more beautiful than gold. Mm-hmm. I get silver, it. for instance. I yeah. think silver. Prettier than gold. Me too. Rose gold. All kinds of things. Mm-hmm. White gold. Titanium. In a lot of ways... Thor is, in fact, that archetype of the kind of warrior that was held as the golden standard for the Norse warriors. Get it? Golden standard? Very good. He's prettier than gold. I like it. So he is loyal. He is honorable. He never tires in his duty to protect Asgard, which is the home of the Norse gods. He's obviously extremely strong, like any good warrior, you know, in Norse mythology would be, or just in Norse tradition would be. Must be all the mead that really keeps you going. Yeah, it's really just, it powers through. It's like spinach with Popeye. So his most notable weapon being the strong, strong man that he was, was Mjolnir, which, did you know it translates directly to lightning? No. Yeah, that's a wow. fun fact for you. And does does it draw lightning canonically, or is it more just like, you know, endlessly like throwable hammer? So actually, Amanda, give me a moment. Describe to me what you know about Mjolnir. I know that only the worthy can lift it, a la like King Arthur's sword. I know that he can sometimes like draw the powers of lightning through it. Like you put it up in the sky and like it's a little lightning rod and he can do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he can also sort of throw it boomerang style and like summon it to him at any time. Ah, okay, good. You, t- you covered all the things that I wanted you to cover. Yay. So in order to use Mjolnir in mythology, Thor does not have to be worthy like he does in the comics. He wears a special belt that allows him to lift the hammer and use it appropriately. Really? Like a magic weightlifting belt. Like you see those hardcore guys at the gym wear. And I personally find this very hilarious. I don't know why. Or uh, like movers will wear a like back bracing belt. That's so Mm -hmm. funny. Wow. And Amanda, you mentioned the ability for Thor to throw the hammer and then summon it back to him. Yes. Did you know that it's not just something he can do because he's like soul bound to the hammer? Julia, is it magnets? It's not magnets. No. Uh, He actually has magic gloves that allowed him to call the hammer back to him. Oh. Yeah. I love this focus on like accessorizing and making tools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you know, you see that in Greek mythology too, where it's these additional things that allow the person to do the things like Hermes is able to fly with his winged sandals. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Or Eros is able to do love stuff with the arrows. (laughs) Love stuff. Shut up. 
<laughs> also, Thor can't just whip around his hammer and fly, Amanda, like you see a lot in the in the movies and the comics. In fact, the in the original mythology, he's said to ride a chariot across the sky, which is drawn by two goats whose names are, they translate to Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder. Yes! Oh no, but oh no, Julia, what if the goats have anxiety? Is that why they're grinding their teeth? No, I hope not. Oh, I think they're more just like chomping at the bit, you know? Yeah. I think that's also just like a thing that goats do. Like, you know how cows they do. They chew. chew cud. Yeah. They chew anything. Them goats wants to just stand on stuff and chew stuff. Me they too. eat it all. They eat it all. So to Marvel's credit, they do sometimes appear in the comic series Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder, but mostly Thor is flying around via spinning Mjolnir a whole bunch. So yeah, I mean, it's harder to uh, to like have your chariot and goats waiting for you when you have to make a an escape. You know, that's true. That's true. But if you're riding into battle, usually you'll have goats on hand, I guess, or a chariot on hand. Maybe not goats on hand. I wish I always had a goat on hand. I know. So do I. Just just a little goat to pet. Just and a small make goat. me sneeze. Small goat to do small to do goat. a to do a ride with. Little friend. In terms of worship, Thor was perhaps the most popular of the gods, which is interesting because he wasn't the head of the pantheon. Oh, I always wondered about that because there is a plot line in the movies about him like taking over his father's, um, I don't know, kingship or like mm-hmm. rulership. But I sort of assumed that he had some kind of position of authority. But you're saying more like he's a crowd favorite. Yeah, he's a crowd favorite. People really liked him. And I'll tell you why. So according to speculations from a few scholars, Odin, the Allfather, the head of the hierarchy in in Norse mythology, he was not as popular because he occasionally demanded human sacrifice while Thor did not. Sure. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. But, you know, Odin's powers were much more influential. And Odin was one of the few male gods who had control over magic. So it, he had a lot of influence. So Thor was also viewed as the great protector of all who were good, whereas most of the other gods and goddesses were patrons to a specific group like kings or poets or thieves, stuff like that. That's awesome. So Thor was the happy warrior. He was described as indomitable, indefatigable, indefatigable is the new word. What is it? Indefatigable. Tireless. Tireless Tire- is a Tireless is a good word for it. And much less complicated than that one that we just struggled with. It sounds like you're saying the F word in the middle of it. I know. Uh, Also steadfast in his defense of Asgard. At the time that the Vikings began to occupy Iceland, for instance, more than a quarter of the population had names that were giving honor to Thor, such as Thorkill or Thorgest. Oh, those are great names. Yeah, those are very good names. I'm really, really... I want to name all of my future fictional characters after Thor names. Also, that's like, that's wishing a great future for your kid. Mm -hmm. Being a favorite, being cheerful, being strong. I love that. Yeah. Untiring. Yeah. Endlessly protecting the good. It's it's so nice. It reminds me of the uh, the Puritan aspirational names. (laughs) Yeah. Only it's not calling your newborn child chastity. Or like, thou shall not commit adultery. Yeah. Uh, okay, dad, thanks. <laughs> so interestingly, Muna amulets were also extremely popular items of protection that were worn by the Norse. Uh, oh, and shit. Also easily could be found after the rise of Christianity. So it's something that persisted even after Christianity kind of got its hold on Europe. Cool. So Thor wasn't just the hero of Asgard, of course, but he went out of his way to protect Midgard, which is the world of the mortals and humanity, which is why he was probably so beloved, because he wasn't separate from the mortals. He was out there doing battle and protecting them as well as the Asgardians. And I think the most charming part of of Marvel's Thor as well uh, is just his absolute, like, 
charmedness and love for humans and human things. That's true. He does he does love a human. So while Thor could be destructive, he was out there fighting off giants uh, who wanted to destroy both Asgard and Midgard, as well as the serpent Jormungardr, who was said to swim in the great ocean that encircles Midgard and is so huge, it bites its own tail. Remember we talked about Ouroboros a couple episodes we did. ago? Basically one one big one. Aw, big old boy. One of the things that will actually start Ragnarok, which we've discussed before, is that if Jormungardr releases his own tail. So there's a very cool story actually about how Thor encountered one of the giant kings and was forced to perform deeds of like strength and whatnot for him. So one of the challenges was this test of strength where the giant king asked Thor to lift up a magical colossal cat. Oh my goodness, I want to pet them. What Thor does not know is the cat is actually Jormungardr, disguised by magic. So Thor grabs the cat, tries to lift it up by its belly, which is bad. Don't ever grab a cat by its belly, they'll scratch you. Oh no. But he just cannot lift it despite his incredible strength. So the most he manages to do is lift the cat just high enough that one of its paws raises off the floor. The king stops him there, says he's very impressed by the god's strength, and reveals the true nature of the cat. He also claims that if Thor had managed to lift the cat slash Jormungardr completely off the ground, it would have altered the boundaries of the universe. Oh my god, that's a very high stakes errand. It is. Well, he expected him not to be able to do it whatsoever. So the fact that he got even one paw off the ground is really, really impressive. Oh no. There's also a story of Jormungardr and Thor meeting when Thor goes fishing with the god Hymir and manages to pull Jormungardr out of the water. So Thor is ready to go into battle with the beast, but Hymir is terrified and he cuts the fishing line before Thor can strike a blow against the serpent and it just goes back to swimming. Okay, just just keep swimming, pal. Thor's doing good, though. Yeah, he's doing good. Lots of strength. He's doing a lot of lifting of this giant serpent that is supposed to surround our entire globe. So they face each other a final time during Ragnarok. And in that situation, which is said not yet to happen, Thor will be so preoccupied with his battle that he will not be able to help the other gods in their fight. So basically taking their strongest player out of commission and not being able to protect the rest of the gods. That's really real. Um while he will be able to kill the serpent, Jormungardr's poison will kill him after he walks nine paces. Nine's a super important number in Norse mythology, too. Mm-hmm. Odin spends nine days dying on, on the tree and is able to unlock nine different types of spells that allow him to cast magic. Cool. Nine is a very witchy number. It is, right? So, Amanda, you know that Thor is associated with thunder, lightning, and storms. Did you also know that he's associated with oak trees? Strength but also hallowing and fertility. Okay, I mean, sure. Uh, So the latter two are associated almost directly with his marriage and association with his wife, Sif. So Sif was associated with fertility and agriculture as her often mentioned golden hair is a symbol of the rich fields of grain that she's said to reside over. Isn't that that makes sense? It's really sweet, I love that imagery. Together they would have very sweet strawberry haired children. Oh, God, yeah, they would. It'd be so cute. So scholars point out that divine marriages like this one are supposed to link a sky god with an earth goddess so that the land will prosper from the relationship. And we've seen that a huh. lot in different areas, I think. Yeah, that's well. true. Even the uh, the creation story of Greek mythology has that. Yeah. Where the god of the sky and the goddess of the earth literally give birth to all of the other gods. Yep. Here's a quote from a German historian from the 11th century. 11th century. 
Adam of Bremen, who said, quote, Thor, they say, presides over the air, which governs the thunder and lightning, the winds and the rains, fair weather and crops. I love that. Delightful. Short, sweet, and to the point. I appreciate that. I know. And I just, I love this idea of like agriculture and human um, sustenance as a partnership between sky and land, because it really is. And we talked about this too with the ISIS episode, where ISIS kind of gains more dominion over certain things because they start connecting her with like all of a sudden she's connected with the ocean and and like fertility and also the sky now because it encompasses everything and i just like the like expansion of dominion in mythologies as they grow totally and i I think it points toward really interesting kind of implications for environmentalism and sustainability you know and and defending our planet against uh destruction because everything is interconnected and there is no such thing as like a solo or solitary uh life in a planet like this yeah we're we're part of intertwined ecosystems uh we're not a remote system yeah and people have known that for a long long time it's just the capitalist lie that you can do whatever you want without consequences that's true thanks capitalism God. Come on, Thor. Where are you to destroy capitalism when we need you? Um, well, Thor's out here doing some hallowing instead. So as I mentioned, that is a really important part of Thor's worship. He's invoked during the blessing and hallowing of places, things, and events, as is evident from the uh, like inscriptions that are found on Norse relics. He was typically called upon to hallow weddings, as well as a settler's first plot of land before they began to build or plant crops. Oh, Julia. Oh, man. Someone has to write a musical where instead of at the beginning, just like Hugh Jackman talking about how nice the fields are in Oklahoma, (laughs) they bring Thor to bless the marriage and just be like, yo, farmers, yo, cowmen, can we all agree that goats are great? And then there's no conflict. Um, How about this? How about Hugh Jackman play Thor? Change plot Oklahoma. Love it. Ride with goats ride with goats oklahoma but goats we have oklahoma but sexy but how about oklahoma but goats fun thing about goats coming up give me two seconds okay so uh while we think of munia as a weapon of destruction it was also thor's way of hallowing things so blessings for weddings were given by touching his hammer to the couple and as you already brought up you remember the goats from before so sometimes uh thor thor get hungry oh uh thor eat goats oh no uh gather their bones together in their hides bless them with their hammer, and then bring them back to life again. Oh, I love so, that. I mean, I don't love it, <laughs> but I do like that the goats are renewable resources. Yeah, yeah. I just, I feel like if I had someone who I worked for who would occasionally be like, I'm hungry, I gotta eat you right now, uh, and then bring me back to life, I feel like I would still get a little mad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much uh, resentment and memory these goats are capable of, but it's it's not ideal. I'll, I'll grant yeah. you that. Is their memory resetting every time they die? Are they the new version of the goats? That's what I'm imagining. But if you save the hide and the bones, there must be something carrying over. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Interesting. Questions well, for the uh, for the ages, Julia. So, Amanda, before we grab uh, some refills of our lightning strikes in the sky, uh, what do you think of the original Norse version of Thor versus what you've known so far about the Marvel version? I like him a lot. I think the um, the Marvel version characterizes him as someone who still has to like learn the world. He seems a little bit, um, you know, insulated. He seems like he's grown up, you know, in this like royal family and maybe not had a lot of experience in the world yet. And my perception of 
that character's growth is, you know, discovering things, starting to care about things, making decisions for himself and deciding where his own values lie. But I love this idea of like, or this version, this this truthful version of like a fully baked Thor who knows what he cares about, knows what he's here to defend um, and doesn't mind that he's kind of different from the other gods. I really love that. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I like the idea of the Marvel version of Thor is the the teen version of Thor. Still learning it, it the ropes. It truly is. Yeah, like him and Spider-Man are both like coming into their own. Mm-hmm. Except he's a grown-ass man who's been alive for a couple of thousands of years. But Yeah, on the timeline, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to kind of dig into the lore of Thor. Now, after Julia took us through that excellent tour of Thor in mythology, we're going to talk to someone who knows Thor in Marvel better than just about anyone. But first, let's grab a refill. We are sponsored this week by Skillshare. By now, you know that Skillshare is one of the best places to learn on the internet. It's an online learning community for creators specifically. They have classes on business, on design, on comics, on running a a leadership type situation. There's lots and lots of great stuff going on. But one of my favorite ways to use Skillshare is to learn about crafts that I'm not good at and to just kind of learn more about what goes into stuff like filmmaking and illustration. And this week, Jules, I want to recommend a course called Odd Bodies, Illustrating Expressive Stylized People by Tom Froze, which is a really wonderful class that shows how he makes like unique, personally styled people, not just sort of stick figures, which is my kind of level of drawing Mm -hmm. and animation, but how you draw kind of stylized, quirky, interesting people. And it's super, super interesting. I'm really excited to see what you come up with after that class. I know. I've been I've been doing it sort of as little breaks throughout the day. And I really enjoy doing Skillshare in that way because it's online courses that you can take at your own pace and in your own way. Yeah. So Skillshare is offering our listeners two months of Skillshare premium for free. What that means is that you get access to all of Skillshare's 25,000 plus classes as a Skillshare premium member. And you can get two months free at Skillshare.com slash spirits Yep. So fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career today by going to Skillshare.com slash Spirits2 for two free months of Skillshare Premium. Thanks, Skillshare. So Amanda, my eyes are bad. Oh no, mine too. I got bad eyes. I can see you wearing your glasses right now and they're really, really cute. Where'd you get those from? I got them, no lie, from Warby Parker and they're extremely cute and colorful and affordable, which is why I can have a blue pair and a pink pair. So Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price. And my favorite part about this is you take a style quiz and then you order the home try-on kit and it's just they send you the ones that you like to your house and then you try them on on your face and it's so easy to pick out which ones look best on you. The packaging is also really efficient, which, you know, we always appreciate. So you order five pairs of their glasses. You try them on for five days. There's no obligation for you to buy them. I know Jake in the past tried on a couple and he wasn't sure until he went to the store itself, the physical store, and tried them on. He's like, these are the pair. These are the pair that I like. And he ordered two pairs as well, Amanda. He got the close-up ones and his far-away ones. Oh, so nice. Yeah, but before that, he... Got the try-on for free. It ships for free. It includes a prepaid return shipping label, which makes it a thousand times easier. And all you have to do is go to warbyparker.com slash spirits to order your free home try-on and then take a quiz to find a pair that is perfect for you. And the nice part is the glasses start at like $95. So they're really cheap, especially if you don't have optical insurance. If you go to like 
an optrician and try on a pair. Sometimes they're like, oh, yes, that's not in your network, though. So it's $300. I'm like, oh, here you go. I'm not going to take these. And because healthcare should be a right and not a privilege, Warby Parker also distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need for every pair of glasses sold. I tend to leave my glasses around and they kind of just jumble in my bag and stuff like that. So the lenses actually come with anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. So my glasses don't get messed up in my bag when I forget to put them in the case. Warby Parker, just crushing it. That's warbyparker.com slash spirits to order your free home try-ons today. Warbyparker.com slash spirits. And finally, we are sponsored by HoneyBook. This week actually marks my one-year anniversary as a full-time multi-dude. <gasps> so proud of you. Thank you. I am very proud as well. It has been quite a journey. And as all of my like subscriptions come up for renewal and our domain names renew, it's, it's an exciting kind of milestone, very geekily for me. I love it. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. And one of the tools that has made this year smoother than I thought it might be is HoneyBook. Because when you start a business, you don't necessarily dream about doing all the admin tasks like drafting contracts and hounding people to pay you for invoices that are five months overdue. Uh, that kind of wasn't part of my vision when starting Multitude, but HoneyBook has really helped in making sure that I can focus on what I love and not what I tend not to love about owning a business. Mm. So HoneyBook is basically a business management tool. It's a platform. So it helps you organize everything to do with client communications like bookings, contracts, invoices all in one place. They have professional templates, e-signatures, which are built in, which is so useful when you're signing contracts with people, and automation that keeps everything on track, makes you look good and on top of your shit without you having to necessarily remember, oh, right, that person I emailed three weeks ago should have gotten back to me by now. Oh, what if you use stuff like, I don't know, QuickBooks or Google Suite or MailChimp or whatever? Is it easy to kind of make that work with HoneyBooks? Yes, HoneyBook actually consolidates services you already use, so it can communicate between these services and help you make sure that your whole little ecosystem is functioning well. I heard it's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. Wow, I heard that too. Luckily, with HoneyBook, you can save time and do more of what you love. And best of all, they are offering our listeners 50% off. That's half off when you visit HoneyBook.com spirits. That discount applies to both the monthly and the annual plans. So you can commit monthly, then see that you love it, and then commit annually. Yeah, so go to HoneyBook.com spirits for 50% off your first year or your first month, whatever you want to do. That's HoneyBook.com com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. We're so honored to be joined by Lorraine Sink, who is author of Marvel Powers of a Girl and a Marvel.com host, including This Week in Marvel. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. And so we've brought you in to talk about Thor. Do you want to talk about like your personal history with Thor? Would that be something you would be interested in talking about? Um, We've never dated. Okay. That's <laughs> um, fair. No, Thor is a character that's near and dear to my heart. I think he's one of the most arrogant Marvel characters to actually kind of become a hero. And it's interesting because we've been celebrating our 80th anniversary all year. And I've been thinking about Thor a lot because I kind of feel like Stan Lee hung the entire Marvel universe somewhat on this idea of mythos. Mm -hmm. You know, he's even said, you know, I look to these great myths and what were they and these supermen. So a lot of our characters are based in myth on these sort of titanic figures uh, and then science fiction. So I kind of feel like it's part and parcel to like the whole creation of the universe. Yeah. I mean, do you think Thor, obviously there's lots of um, lots of Marvel characters that are drawn from inspiration in history, but I feel like that's that might be the closest kind of one to one, you know, a version of a character we have in folklore. Do you think that's that's accurate? 
Oh, yeah. No, I definitely think that's true. Um, there are not a lot of real life characters that pop up in the Marvel Universe. They're usually kind of proxies uh, for <laughs> legal reasons. But also, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you don't want to be too on the nose because you are ultimately telling a story and we don't want to blur the line between fiction and reality. But the Marvel Universe is also based on the world outside your window. So it kind of makes sense that these sort of um, myths in the real world would become myths in the Marvel universe. Because we also have Hercules and a whole Olympian set of gods yeah. as well. Uh, and then we have these sort of titans that come from outer space <laughs> and <laughs> onward. So I, I think it's just kind of a normal part of the Marvel universe to say, okay, we have these myths. How does that translate here? Well, of course, we're dealing with fiction, so we can make those people be real. Why not? Uh, can you talk a little bit about the history of Thor and how he was introduced into the uh, the Marvel Comics world? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually, because all of these characters that we think about as the Marvel superheroes and we think of superheroes as being this genre were actually introduced in like the weird, wild, strange mm -hmm. tales, pulp fiction style comics of the sort of coming out of the 50s and into the 60s. So science fiction was really sort of taking off as a genre. And it was all of these stories like, you know, Ant-Man was just this guy who messed with these particles that shrunk him down. Ooh, weird science. Yeah, it's so like nuclear era. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, totally. for sure. Yeah, Totally. And everything is coming out of this idea of the atom bomb and industrialism. And so it kind of made sense for Thor. Uh, Thor was introduced in a series called Journey into Mystery. So it was sort of dealing with the fantastical stuff. Mm -hmm. um, this would be what I would call the more D&D realm because mm -hmm. I play a lot of D&D. Um, nice. Us too. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. You're among good company. <laughs> I'm amongst my people. Um, so this would be more in that sort of vein. Mm -hmm. And he was originally uh, Journey into Mystery. I believe it's 83 from 1962. So we're also early 60s. We're coming out of the 50s. We're getting into a more mind expanded era, but we're still a little bit in the groovy early times. Everyone's dropping a little bit of LSD. <laughs> Not a lot yet, <laughs> but a little bit. Right right now we're more in like the reefer will kill you phase yep. of life, yeah. I think, uh -huh. in the sort reefer of madness. <laughs> historical context. But um, so this... Dr. Donald Blake is drawn to go on a trip to Norway. There's something about <laughs> Norway that he just needs to go to. He, um, There's an alien crash, and he's like, what am I going to do? He picks up this staff, he hits it on the ground, and he turns into the god Thor. This is kind of supposed to be one of those weird stories like, can you believe it? This guy turns into Thor. Yeah. <laughs> and he chills Thor. On my vacation. <laughs> yeah, on my summer vacation, I turned into Thor. Um, but then he became this character that people loved and continued to come back. And over time, it was revealed that Odin had actually sent down Thor from Asgard because he was such an arrogant jerk. He kept getting into fights that he shouldn't have been in. And so his dad was like, you need to learn some humility for your hubris. You are being sent down to Earth to live in the body of a young man who is differently abled. So he had an injured leg, so he couldn't walk properly. He needed this cane. He found this staff, and this Thor was born. And then we had the fun sort of duality of uh, hiding your alter ego so mm. he was doctor by day dating beautiful nurse jane foster uh -huh. who of course was getting caught up in the mix between him and his mischievous brother loki who's constantly coming down to earth i'm obsessed with when loki first comes into comics because he causes the dumbest problems mm -hmm. because he, 
in the comics, he's really um, introduced initially as a maker of mischief. So he's like yeah. turning New York City into ice cream. And then he's like making some people <laughs> invisible. And they're like, oh, no, I'm invisible. <laughs> but it's like, no, I'm no one's actually getting really hurt mm-hmm. other right. than ice cream skyscrapers potentially melting i mean but the dream <laughs> but the dream i know yeah. i'm like not a bad problem mm, and what an terrible. interesting foil to sort of like these themes you're mentioning earlier of like you know the atom bomb and industrialism and you know global tensions like escalating and changing yeah i think um but thor really was such a escape and such a fantasy kind of story and it's interesting because As he grew, and I think as comics grew and as uh, fiction has grown, you know, he's become such a more serious character. Loki has taken much more evil turns. Mm -hmm. um, And they've introduced the nine realms. And then, well, it was initially nine realms. We've added a tenth realm. Sure. We added heaven, which is a whole realm of warrior women. Oh, Um, I mean, obviously, that's what heaven is. Yep. Uh Yeah. Yeah, They look like angels, but they will straight up cut everyone. They are not nice. The dream. That Again. sounds wonderful. Another I have to dream. look into it. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like, mm, that sounds right. Everything, everything about this. Mm-hmm. Yes, good. <laughs> yeah, Thor's sister, actually, um, it was revealed in the comics that his sister Angela was born to his mother. Well, actually, technically his stepmother, because, you know, the gods, they mm. don't, they're non-monogamous, ethically yes. non-monogamous, maybe. I don't know. TBD. Yeah. <laughs> they're um, not, like, constrained by our mortal bounds. Mm-hmm. Um. But his sister was actually given to the angels as sort of a uh, treaty, a peace treaty. They said, okay, you can take our kid. A lot like you would see in sort of the Game of Thrones-esque things like, you take my kid, we'll call it even. Right. Uh, And so she was raised there. So he technically has a sister who's an angel in the Marvel Universe as well. She's very... He has like a million siblings. <laughs> so many at this point. <laughs> yeah. Can you walk us through a little bit of the like family structure and how much of Asgard and Asgard politics kind of make it into the Thor comics canon? Yeah, as best I can. The So the creation of the world is sort of weird and interesting. Ymir, I believe, is supposed to be sort of like the beginning of the universe. And he rose from the water and essentially gave birth to life. And then a lot of... Basically, the realms came from that. He gave birth to Bor. Bor took his wife, Belta. Belta and Bor had their kids, which was Odin. And most notably, uh, another guy called Cole Borson, who we call the serpent, who's really bad. He is super not nice. Um, But also gave birth to uh, sort of Niflheim and the realms of the mist and hell and all that bad stuff, as well as Muspelheim, where Surtur and the demons hang out. Let's see if I can do these all. (laughs) You're killing it already. Let's go. (laughs) There's Alfheim, which is the light elves, which is essentially like magic land. It's like champagne and candy canes grow. (laughs) Like it's really what you would think of when you're like happy-go-lucky elves. Uh, There's Nidavellir, which is where all of the uh, dwarves live, and they are master craftsmen. They actually made Thor's hammer Mjolnir out of Uru, which is a magical uh, material out of a star. Mm. And they're kind of like the worker bees of the realms. Mm. They kind of do a lot of thankless work, I think, poor dwarves. Um, I guess in a lot of different lore. Yeah. I'm now sort of realizing a parallel between the like discover of nuclear energy and knowing that these elements like are in stars and we can recreate them and split them here on Earth mm-hmm. and the sort of idea of like that, you know, material that we haven't named yet coming from outer space and being like the downfall of a hero or the key to a hero's power. 
Oh, yeah. I'm sure there have been very smart theses written about this topic. Probably, but... Well, and it's kind of crazy because also science fiction sort of leads the way for science fact. And it's weird to think like teleportation was something we used to see on TV or in in books. And now they're like blipping up atoms into the stratosphere like NASA's doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I love science. Yeah. I wish I knew more about science. I'm just here for mythology and stuff. I'm just here for those NASA tweets. Yeah. (laughs) That's my my frame of reference. Um, And then we have Svartalheim. That's where all of the dark elves live. And in the Thor canon, probably Thor's worst enemy, especially as of late, has been this guy, Malekith, the cursed or accursed. He has a half and half sleep face. One side is light. One side is dark. And he is like the worst like rock and roll metal evil god i don't know he kind of just like to me has like a real death metal vibe about him um but he's essentially always trying to sneak to midgard which is earth and like just cause trouble for asgard for midgard he essentially always wants all of yedrasil the world tree that connects all of the realms he just wants to own yedrasil Mm -hmm. so um which sounds like a medicative cream but is not um (laughs) uh but that is essentially sort of his vibe. Um, but I think that's the thing is everything all kind of ties together because someone is always sort of searching for domination, whether it's Surtur in Muspelheim, mm-hmm. who's in the he's like, you know, in the fire all the time. He's always sending uh, like hooking up with Mangog, which is like a creation of all of the hate of mankind mm-hmm. and all of these like dead souls. It's super weird and creepy, but he's essentially looks like a monster and he's always trying to sneak into Asgard because you guys probably know from the film and from all things like Ragnarok is like their life and birth cycle. Right. Someone's always trying to cause Ragnarok. So Mangog is constantly trying to take out the Twilight Sword, which mm-hmm. is an enormous sword. It's giant. I, I don't know how to explain it any other way than it's like several buildings long. It's just wow. outrageously huge. And when you unsheath the sword of Twilight, uh, it will create Ragnarok and mm. the world will end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll also be reborn. So there's this sort of interesting theory of like, which Thor is Thor and how many Thors have there been? And Mm -hmm. like, this is the cycle. And as much as things are meant to be, they're also meant to end. But it it is interesting because essentially a lot of the plots come down to um, who is trying to rule. And it's very Game of Thrones. It's very um, fighting for the crown. Uh, Odin kind of is the one who sits above all, but everybody would like to be at the top of Yggdrasil. So it's essentially like who who's willing to burn down the world tree to uh, be in control of it all. It's very wow. human in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, they are kind of really human. Like they, like the Asgardians have gods above them. There's, they're literally called, I think, the gods above all um, who kind of use the Asgardians as their pawns. Mm-hmm. They live, they die. They have Valkyries uh, who also live and die. Uh, so it's kind of weird because they're kind of like not God, God, you know, there, there is something like very human about them. Yeah. Which is something I really like about mythology because you have such human gods, you have like gods that make faults and do mistakes and have tempers and whatnot. And you, we kind of have gone away from that in traditional monotheistic religions where it's like all knowing, all loving, et cetera, et cetera. But I think personally, I enjoy the stories where the gods have personalities because it reminds you humans appreciated that humans can look at the gods and see the answers because 
that's the way that they would react, you know? No, I love that Odin is honestly really depicted as the biggest jerk in Asgard a lot of the time. You know, he's sometimes he's trying to teach his son good lessons to be humble and to be kind. But just as much as that, he's completely driven by his ego. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Loki has a point. That's what I always think about when I when I read and watch Loki. I'm like, Loki has a point. Like, I, I get where you come from, bud. Yeah. Yeah. And also, that's another thing that I always think is so interesting about the Marvel Universe is Loki is so kind of messed up about his parentage. You know, he was adopted by Odin. He was a frost giant. But Thor's mom is also not actually Frigga. He's the child of Gaia. Uh, but was raised by Frigga. But he's like totally cool with his mom being his mom. Yeah. And he's just sort of accepted that. She's the one that's been around. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're my mom. You raised me. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, but Loki is like so has like so many identity issues. I mean, you can even see it in like the I mean, a lot of it, it comes from our writers. But I think a lot of our writers have allowed him to be like, Sometimes Loki's a woman. Sometimes Loki's a man. Sometimes mm-hmm. Loki is a child. Sometimes Loki is a raven. Um, and he, he kind of has room to be a little bit of anything because he kind of is this like lost child who's just getting into trouble trying to get his father's attention. Yeah, yeah. And there is a beautiful basis of that in the original mythology as well, because you have Loki, you know, as the uh, as the mayor trying to seduce uh, the the horse, the workhorse of the uh, dwarf that wants to steal away the moon goddess. Yeah, I mean that's something that's always appealed to me too about Loki as a character is that sort of um, explicit struggle for place and identity recognition for others to see you as you see yourself. Um, and so I think especially among you know queer folks and trans folks, like Loki is such a sort of relatable figure. And it's the canonical gender fluidity, but it's also, I think, looking for, you know, a a reflection of yourself and and looking for the world to see you as you see yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I also think like, again, to go back to D&D, but I think Loki is that character. It's like when you want to play a rogue in D&D, which is my number one choice for d I play a rogue in my D&D campaign. Oh my God, do you uh, wreck everything also? Yeah, no, I'm just like a, like a gay teen disaster. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm going to either flirt with you or like try to kill you later. But that's my two modes. Same, same. I think that's why like rogue is the most fun. But like Loki is completely sort of driven by the whim of that moment. And like, what is he feeling? And he's sort of all passion all the time. But it's, I think how we all kind of dream we could live our life. It might not be always the most healthy or like sensible way, but it's a really sort of exciting way to, you know, function if if it's allowed. Yeah. Or escapism. Very what I look to comics for, you know. (laughs) I would love to ask you, because in recent years you have the idea of Thor being a mantle as opposed to Thor being simply the character with Jane Foster coming in and taking up the mantle of uh of Thor. I'd love to just talk about the decision behind that, I guess, in the comics and kind of what that means in the grand scheme of things for Thor in Marvel. You know, it it is really interesting. When it happened, Mm -hmm. I was so excited about it. There's uh, an amazing creative team named Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman, and they had this idea, what if Thor became unworthy of the mantle? Because it is whosoever is Worthy has the mantle of Thor, and it says that on Mjolnir. Um, and they were like, well, what if Thor isn't worthy? Then what happens? He's Odin's son, just like Cole Borson is Bor's son, mm-hmm. son of Bor. It's pretty simple out <laughs> there. But so, okay, Odin's son loses the title Thor. What happens? 
Um, And so they left it a mystery for a long time. It was sort of this mysterious woman was showing up who had become worthy. And it was revealed that uh, Jane Foster, his longtime love um, from the very early days of his comics, took up the mantle. And then there was this sort of added drama that she was sick with cancer. Mm -hmm. And the actual using of that power was weakening her immune system. And I think that something that I really appreciated um, when I've talked to both Jason and Russell is that they they were like, this matters, you know, to, to give someone else an opportunity to have this mantle because uh, Thor means something in the minds of people. You know, you say Thor, there's this idea of like immense power, godliness, ego, like all yeah. of those fun, delicious things. And so to let someone else have the opportunity to take up that mantle, it's imbuing them with that power. And it it felt like at that time and still in comics uh, at Marvel, we're always exploring new female titles and t- looking to tell more stories of women. And that felt like such a fun, interesting way to allow a woman to step up and and take on that story. So I was I've really enjoyed it. And what's great is you kind of like don't lose what Odin's son is doing. He still gets to be a badass. He still gets to fight. He has his cool axe, yarn bjarn. He's got his goats. <laughs> He's got his goats, tooth nasher and tooth grinder. Mm, the best. With his little flying cart. <laughs> I just love that also Thor's like this huge guy in a little tiny flying cart with two little goats. Perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> love a flying chariot any day of the week, honestly. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And like it really, I think, challenges us to see and to find strength for ourselves because strength is not just a, you know, six foot six, like muscly blonde man. It's, you know, whoever is worthy and willing to to go the distance for the thing they believe in. Absolutely. And I think Jane in comics is such an, you know, she's had such a a period of growth because she was introduced, you know, almost you're coming out of the romance comics era mm-hmm. where um, I like to call them ladies with jobs were really big. It was like <laughs> Millie the model, Patsy Walker, teen model. They were a lot of, you know. <laughs> a lot of alliteration with oh. the title and name too. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. Wendy the waitress. That was yeah. one. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but there, you know, there are so many of those comics. And so Jane really kind of went from being a, a woman on the sidelines where they over time and as times changed, her character is really reflected in that. Um, she became a doctor instead of being kind of relegated to being, quote unquote, a nurse. Not that there's anything wrong with being mm-hmm. a nurse. Nurses are vital and important to society. As it became socially acceptable for women to be accepted into medical schools, she became a doctor. Uh, she has gone through love and loss and all of those things and has been this sort of doctor in the Marvel Universe taking care of superheroes. And her willingness and her heart was there. So it was the right point for her to step up again into something bigger, I think. Yeah, that's so exciting. It must be such a like wonderful challenge to kind of take this existing infrastructure. I'm picturing like a like a big mansion, you know, that was built for you. And now as you're walking through, you're trying to like make renovations and to add new things and to make it, you know, hospitable, not just for you now, but for the future without like changing too much of the structure that it all falls down. Yeah, I think that is something interesting for for our writers and, and artists to deal with, because you always want to sort of honor where they come from. Uh, you don't want to say, OK, let's swipe the slate and pretend that didn't happen. Although we do have Ragnarok. Ragnarok <clears throat> happens. Uh, you can wipe the slate a little bit here and there. But you do want to honor it because people love this stuff for a lifetime. You know, there are people that have been reading comics for 50 years, 60 years, you know, 
80 years. It's been around that long. So there are people that like our our dear Peter Sanderson, who is a Marvel historian. He's been uh, working with Marvel on and off for literal decades. Wow. He's he's read every comic every week for much longer than I've been alive and could tell you literally everything. He's an encyclopedia. And there are so many people that are like that, that I think it's nice to sort of give it its due. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I, as a, a non like lifetime comics reader, but someone who's getting into it now, respect so much. And I feel like I have lots of friends who are writers and like, you know, I write myself sometimes. And I feel like there's so many kind of like ways that comics challenge us to push the bounds of like world building and plot and what we can do with stories, how we can honor stories while still making new changes that I don't know, I feel like I'm constantly learning from from the stuff that comics pull off. I love comics too. I mean, obviously, I work in comics. I like comics. <laughs> you don't say. Um, Hopefully. But, but I'm like, I love books and I love movies and I love just like media. I love stories. And to me, comics are, I feel like not enough people give comics time. And I, I get it. Like there's a million things to watch on Netflix and whatever. But I love comics because it is a perfect marriage to me of reading a book and watching a movie. It's sort of the perfect little interplay because I'm getting the visuals of what I'm, you know, what what is the world? It's telling me visually, um, but I'm still getting a plot and a story. And it's essentially just a script that's fully storyboarded for you. And sometimes that's better because you get to have the actors in your head. You can have the best possible portrayal <laughs> yeah. because it's exactly mm -hmm. what you want it to be. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I just think comics are Comics are fun. You should read them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's like the opposite of podcasting in some way, but has the mm -hmm. exact same effect where yeah. something that we love about the medium is, you know, you can walk around with this, these people's voices in your head and you can be going about your day, seeing your own sights, like in your own home. And it feels like this wonderful marriage of like you're picturing whatever it is um, that makes sense to you while still having the, the richness of the story in your brain. And comics for me is the exactly like you say, I hear it in, in my head, but I see these sort of indications of what the world is like around me. So even though it's a few panels on the page, I feel like I'm in the room, you know, and, and seeing how things are going on around me. It's all Hamilton. We're in the room where it happens. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I love it. Are there any like visual, I don't know, elements, styles? Uh, I don't even know the words to ask the question because I'm not a visual <laughs> person. But what about, um, if anything, in the Thor comics and how they're illustrated? Are there any like distinctive elements that lend to the world building or the story progression? Something that's different from the Thor comics to other comics in Marvel? Oh, for sure. I think, well, Thor, you know, definitely comes the most out of the fantasy realm. And I think you get to see the most sort of fantasy elements in a lot of the Thor comics. So if you think about it, it's going to feel more like Lord of the Rings compared to industrialist Tony Stark, cool guy, <laughs> where everything's going to be like cool mech stuff. You know, the Thor world you're going to see, especially when they're telling stories that are in Asgard and more in the sort of Yedrasil tree and less in the Midgard area, <laughs> which is our Earth. It, you're going to see like a lot of um, a lot more organic shapes in general. So you're going to see a lot more sort of vines and greenery. And, you know, uh, Asgard depicted in the Marvel Universe is like this huge, at least before it was destroyed in Ragnarok and now it exists sort of hovering in space. But at the time, Asgard was this big, huge golden palace, um, sort of almost in your mind, like what Atlantis would look like, these mm -hmm. huge towering pillars and the rainbow bridge that is very much just a rainbow. 
Yeah. <laughs> just a full on mm-hmm. uh, rainbow with an arc and everything, um, connecting it to the other worlds. So it's really opulent in a way that um, Midgard is not. You know, the, the heroes of Earth live in New York City. It looks like New York City. Uh, Asgard is very much palaces, greenery, uh, opulence. Uh, if you love drag race, opulence. 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 <laughs> you own everything. <laughs> we're doing the dance, y'all. <laughs> this is my highlight of my life. <laughs> Listen, where else can you get comics, D&D, drag race, Spears podcast? This is literally what my personal podcast would be. <laughs> well, drag you, can, race. you can come on anytime and borrow it. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Oh, I did have one of my favorite things uh, from like the stylization, like you were talking about with the comics, is the fact that whenever or in a lot of the comics, when Thor speaks, it's always in a very stylized script opposed to everyone else. Yeah, Yeah. um, Thor does get his own lettering. Mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, comic. You kind of think of Comic Sans. I know that's like a dirty word to people mm-hmm. who use fonts, but uh, or like block lettering. Like yeah. I, I kind of picture comics in in all caps a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's generally written in all caps uh, in very traditional block lettering. But Thor has sort of this old English, and he also kind of is like have at the. Yes. He gets you know yeah. different sort of dialogue, and he has this antiquated, not quite Shakespearean dialogue. Always. He does not change with the time so much. <laughs> I love it. It's really, really, it makes him stand out as a character when you're reading dialogue and you're always like, oh, there's Thor. You don't even have to see him off screen. You know exactly who's talking. Oh, yeah, for real. <laughs> That's so cool. Is there a particular place that you suggest listeners that are really excited and galvanized and want to jump into the Thor comics? Where should they begin? That is always such a good question. Um, <laughs> a hard one, From your though. tone, I guess it's hard. <laughs> well, So I would say if you want to start with the early comics, I think that's a great sort of fun place to start. If you're looking for like, what's the most traditional bing, bang, boom, uh, big sound effects, big action kind of comics, you can always start Journey into Mystery number 83. That essentially becomes the Thor numbering. So you can kind of start there. Um, I also highly recommend, uh, this is non-sponsored, but Marvel Unlimited is a subscription service that Marvel has, and you can essentially read almost all of the Marvel comics ever created. They're always uploading new ones. And so I just recommend that because you can kind of sit down and start wherever you want. But I think you can always start there. I think the 90s get weird for my personal taste. So It's the 90s, though. The- all the comic books were weird during that period of time. Oh, so weird. <laughs> um, and, you know, Thor has taken on, like, different kind of human hosts. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a thing he likes to do. He likes to go hang out in somebody's body for a while or his dad feels bad for somebody. And so then he's like, why don't you go live with Jake Olson for a while? And he's like, okay. Um, <laughs> you say so, Dad? <laughs> all right, Dad. Um, but I really think you can jump on very easily with Jason Aaron's run. If you look at his initial run on Thor, that um, starts with Thor Odinson. Um, there, uh, there's a story called The God Bomb. It's about a god who wants to kill all of the gods. Uh, it's awesome. The artwork is incredible. It's like super duper fantasy like it's really badass there are all these cool warrior women in it uh he meets all of his selves through time it's just a really cool story and you kind of can just jump into it and just like okay i know who thor is okay i'm ready to go Mm -hmm. i love that need a ton of it and you can essentially follow that run through to read about jane foster becoming thor because it all follows that lineage so i think that's probably my favorite part start with jason aaron that sounds perfect yeah 
Well, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us about Thor. If folks, as they should, love your perspective and your work, where's the best place to catch you on a podcast? Yeah, you can listen to me on This Week in Marvel. We have new podcasts every Friday wherever you listen to your podcasts or on marvel.com. And I'm also on a weekly show called Earth's Mightiest Show every Thursday on marvel.com. Love it. And they can pick up your book anywhere books are sold. Yeah, please buy my book. If you like ladies and you like uh, superheroes, it's for you. You're probably due if you're listening to this podcast right now. (laughs) Powers of a Girl. Uh, It's based on the character Squirrel Girl because she has all of the powers of a squirrel and all of the powers of a girl. Oh, she's the best. And she's so nice. I love her so much. (laughs) I do too. She's so funny and she just like solves problems with her heart. Mm -hmm. She's like Galactus. He could eat planets, but also he needs a snack. Let's just feed this guy and he'll be fine. Sounds ideal. Powers of a girl. Well, thank you so, so much, Lorraine. Thank you. Thanks. And remember, listeners, to stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. Skillshare, the online learning community, is offering you two months of free Skillshare premium at Skillshare.com spirits2. That's the number two. Warby Parker is our go-to destination for very cute eyeglasses. You can order your free home try-ons at warbyparker.com spirits. And HoneyBook is the business management platform that multitude and ton of other creative small businesses use. Get half off your first month or your first year at HoneyBook.com spirits. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.